Hello, this is Rabbi Mark Soloway. Welcome to A Dash of Drush, weekly reflections on our world through the lens of Torah. Hello, this week we are recording from the Rabbis Without Borders retreat at the Pearlstone Retreat Center in Baltimore, Maryland. And our theme tonight is Choshech darkness it's crazy like it is crazy like the plague of hail has come and pretty much wiped out all of the crops and all of the land of Egypt but like anything that was left was ravaged by the Arbe which is the locusts and still Pharaoh somehow managed to harden Pharaoh's heart or God hardened Pharaoh's heart to be more exact and Moshe Moses lifted up his staff up towards the heavens and a darkness descended that was palpable, that you could taste, that you could feel, that you could experience with your full body. This darkness was so intense, says the Torah, this darkness was so intense, the choshech, the darkness was so intense that for three days people couldn't see each other. If you were standing up, you couldn't sit down and if you were sitting down, you couldn't stand up. And there's something so crazy about this darkness. It was debilitating. It was disempowering. People couldn't move, literally. And also people couldn't see each other. So some very important questions about the nature of darkness, the physical nature of darkness, the spiritual, emotional levels of darkness and of course ultimately the moral like what is how does moral darkness show up in our world it feels like a dark world right now I'm, I'm joined tonight by a group of very cool and mostly drunk rabbis <laughs> from uh, many different states we have um, Justin Goldstein, who is from uh, Beth Israel in Asheville, North Carolina, Caroline, Carolina, Carolina, North Carolina. We have Seth Goldstein, who is soon to be the president of the RRA, which is the Rabbinical <laughs> Reconstructionist Rabbinical Assembly. Um, so he is like our a leader among us in the Reconstructionist movement. <laughs> Rabbi uh, Rachel Kobrin, who is the the, the rabbi of Adath Yashurin in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and uh, Doug Heifetz. Hello. Hello, who is the rabbi of uh, Congregation Osei Shalom here in Maryland, which is where we are right now, and Heidi Hoover, who is the rabbi of Beth Emeth in Brooklyn, New York. An incredible group of rabbis here. And we're going to reflect on this theme of Choshech, this theme of darkness. The first question I want to ask you guys is like about the darkness as it relates to our relationship with society. Lo ra'u ish et achiv, says the Torah. Like a person couldn't see his brother, a person couldn't see her sister. Like this idea that darkness is somehow takes away the ability for us to see each other. Does anyone have any responses? I mean, I think it's a very apt metaphor for these times. I mean, I think that's so... Because what 
what did the plague signify? The plague signified really the breaking down of society, of Egyptian society, because of the burden of Israelite slavery. So much so that you know they had to be had to be proven over and over again how much it was damaging their society to be oppressing this people in order to be let go. And the fact that one of the the penultimate plague was this idea of, of almost of, of spiritual disconnection. Right? That they ultimately were. It wasn't just the crops being hurt. That it wasn't just the the, uh, the um, uh, inconvenience of the fronds or the blood. But now all of a sudden they're becoming disconnected from one another. And that is symptomatic of what it means to be an oppressive society, that ultimately it doesn't just hurt those who are oppressed, but the oppressors themselves. And uh, I think that that's, you know, it's, it's very apt that, I mean, ultimately, right, we, we know that the 10th plague ends in real death, but here's the spiritual death that is this penultimate plague that's really signifying the, the, the downfall of Egyptian society. So you're saying the the ultimate spiritual death is disconnection from one another. I think so. I think so. I mean, we live our lives in relationship. And when that is impossible, then we're adrift. And that's a form of spiritual death. Beautiful Heidi. So I'm thinking of something very different. And I'm thinking about when things have gotten so bad that we cannot bear to see each other. And I am reminded of Hagar and Ishmael in the desert, where it wasn't dark, but Ishmael was crying, and they had no water, and they had no food, and Hagar put him down under a bush and went to a place where she couldn't see him, and she couldn't hear him crying, because she couldn't bear it. And the plague of darkness made it so that people didn't need physical distance to turn away from each other when the suffering got too bad but you know sometimes sometimes that's a thing that happens is that you cannot you can't stand the suffering and so you turn away from it so that you can't see it and I think I think that we have to take action before we allow things to come to the point where people are suffering so badly that we can't stand to look at it. Beautiful. So on the one hand, there's a, there's a, a, a real like spiritual disconnect that like the ultimate plague of darkness in the human condition is where we, we, we can't see each other. But from a more kind of activist perspective, there's a sense that sometimes we can't bear to see each other. And from that place of not bearing to see each other, we, we have to like stand up and say, like, enough, this is this is this is crazy, you know. I mean there, there's many um, Hasidic commentaries that talk about the idea that the the very, very deepest depth of darkness is when when people can't see each other as brothers and sisters. Like if we if we lose that ability to see the humanity and the person that we perceive as other, then we are living in a world of darkness. And so that works as a spiritual concept. It also works as a very much a physical concept in, like, in our world right now and, and the importance of us standing up. I want to 
I was thinking about this. This is Doug Hypus. Yeah. Hello. I was thinking about uh, along the lines that you were talking about, uh, Mark, and continuing on what Seth had said. There is a commentary from the Itare Torah about uh, about the, the passage of, of Amalek. Amalek is supposed to symbolize the greatest evil that we're supposed to stamp out, even even its memory. So this commentary says that the Amalek was supposed to attack behind us. That's why they were so fearsome. But the Torah interprets it not that they attacked behind us, the people who we allowed to straggle behind us, but rather we allowed these people to be behind us because we saw them not as acharecha behind you, but rather acharecha other than you, different from you. So it's like we couldn't see the Tzalem Elohim, we couldn't see the godliness, the true humanity in them, and then we allowed them to be separated. We allowed them to go, go behind, and then we were vulnerable to attack. We were vulnerable to, you know, to enemies from without. Um, so one type of not seeing is not seeing the Tzalem Elohim, letting people seem as totally other. If we lose the ability to see the image of the divine in the other, then we are, in fact, um, making ourselves vulnerable to attack. Justin. Oh. So, I mean, with, with this, I, I, I like I like what you just contributed, Doug, this idea of not being able to see the other ultimately prevents us from being able to see godliness in the world, right? I mean, so like Emmanuel Levinas has this whole concept that we, we experience God through the face of the other, Right, the naked, the nakedness of eyes, the 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 one part of the body that uh, truly shows us who the other is, right? And it reminds me of this teaching from the Ale Shur, from Rabbi Shlomo Wolby, who wrote that uh, every every time that opposites come together, every joining of opposites produces joy. Right, that it's through through the experience of negating the humanity and godliness of the other we actually uh, elevate our own sense of self and that through those opposites we produce joy right and what is this you know so Rabbi Yosef Gikatilia the Kabbalist of the 13th century he he wrote this book say for Mishalim which is all these parables and he he asks, what, are, what is comparable to sadness and joy, right? Because sadness and joy are these opposites. So this, and what he compares it to is the relationship between day and night. So that day and night, the separation between day and night is completely artificial, right? Think about that moment between day and night where you blink and all of a sudden it's night. Like you didn't know. It's been day all along. You've been able to see everyone else around you all along. You've been able to experience the godliness of others all along. And all of a sudden you blink, and it's night. Here's an opposite. But that opportunity that presents itself to find joy, right? To find joy. And this idea that often quoted, and I would also say often misunderstood teaching from Rabbi Nachman of Breslov that Mitzvah Gedola Lehiot Simcha Tamid. That it's a it's an incredible mitzvah to always be joyous, right? And we often lose sight of the greater, the deeper meaning in, in the rest of that teaching. What he brings out, what he brings down, is this idea that uh, the only way you can actually experience joy 
is if you experience complete and utter sadness. Right? The only way that we can actually know what it means to experience darkness is if we've experienced light. And that living in this bifurcated world, living in this world of duality, we compare. Right? So that sense of self is necessarily bound up in our understanding of the other. And so as long as we lack the ability to see the other around us, then what we're actually producing is an inability to see ourselves. And that breakdown in society is ultimately a reflection of the breakdown of our inner heart. It's a breakdown of our own sense of self. And what I hear in what you're saying, Justin, is that the, you, you can't, the, the, the whole concept, the whole concept of darkness can't exist without there being light. And of course, that's reflected in our daily tefillah and our daily prayer. Now, in Shabbat, we have like the, the blessing that says, like the, we, we acknowledge God as the source who forms the light and creates the darkness. And the two, the two are intrinsically related to each other. There's, there's, there's no possibility for darkness if there's not also light. But there's no possibility for light if there's not also darkness. So they are contained with, within each other. I mean, I think, you know, the, the, in our rabbinic literature, the very first um, question, really, mm -hmm. that, that, the, that the, the Mishnah asks is like, you know, well, actually the second question, but like, like you know, when, it, when, can we, when is it light enough that we can say our morning prayers? We, you know, when is, it, when is it light enough that we can actually have the chutzpah to say Shema Yisrael, to say the morning prayers? And, and you know, the question comes, like, it's when we can... Distinguish between the white and the blue of the in in our the strands that we we have on our on our seat seat you know and it's like that's when it's light enough but you know, like then it comes to this idea when you can recognize the the face of your chaver the face of your friend like then it's light enough and there's there's commentary on this that says that you know until we until we live in a world where we can see the face of every human being as our brother and sister. Until we can see the face of, of, of God, the face of divinity, the face of humanity, and the other, then we're, then we're living in the darkness. And I think that, you know, we live in this um, in a very dark world right now. You know, we live in a world where we, we just cannot, we, we, we cannot see the humanity in the faces of the people with whom we so strongly disagree um, and see as other, whether it's other in terms of, like, spiritual other or physical other or national other or cultural other or religious other and it's, it, it's, it's very very painful and I think that that's a big part of this conversation but I, I want to draw, you know, move the conversation a little bit more like internally like this, this other part as the, as the Torah describes this plague of darkness you know this idea that they couldn't get up for three days it was so dark this darkness was was so thick, it was so dense, you could taste it, you could feel it with your whole body, it was so dense that you literally could not get up <coughs> and like you know, for, for the, some of us that seems to be a, a, a description of some kind of, you know, like um, people who've really struggled with, um, with, with depression, with mental illness, you know, there's a sense that when you're really really, really in that space of darkness there's an absolute 
absolute absence of light. And in that absence of light, you can't, literally cannot get up. You cannot, you cannot, there's a sense of utter giving in to utter despair. And so I think that in a sort of more personal, like we have the societal, our relationship with the world kind of darkness, but like, you know, internally, like, you know, how, how do we, how do we respond to that sense of like when the darkness is so overwhelming that we just can't see any light, we can't see any hope, we, we kind of give in to the despair. I wonder if any of you, any of you have any, any comments on, on that? Well, I think that's, you know, I think so many of us feel that sense of, of darkness, of depression, despair, hopelessness, but we know there's the, in Torah's, you know, in, back in Shemot, the Israelite households had light. And how do we get to a place where at least in, we at least have certain uh, create spaces where there, where there are light spaces that can help pull us out of that darkness, out of that depression. And it may not be that that light shines on our whole land, our whole society, but, have, but uh, I think our Torah is reminding us at least there's the possibility that we can create light around us. Not easy. Um, I don't know what is the blood on the doorpost now, or you know the markers of of those spaces. How do we define them? How do we set them up? Um, that's a that's a great question. Like, how do we make those distinctions between places of, of, of refuge and safety, and places where the light can still come in in a world that feels intrinsically intrinsically dark? And the Torah does seem to make that distinction between the darkness that pervaded the Egyptian homes and somehow the Israelite homes were, were spared and this whole kind of <laughs> bloodying of the doorposts so that the angel of death will pass by which is, comes later in the, in the Pasha. Justin, were you going to say something? No? Heidi? Something that I actually love about Judaism is that sometimes Judaism really acknowledges the darkness and so for example when uh, someone who is one of the closest people to us dies. We sit Shiva for seven days and we sit on a low stool. And when you talked about not being able to get up, I thought about being on a low stool and how hard it is to get up from there, especially if you're not so young anymore. And that, you know, Judaism doesn't say you always have to be able to get up. You always have to be able to soldier on, that there are times when it is too hard. But also, that those times are limited in their scope. Shiva lasts for seven days. And then one of your friends helps you to get up off that stool and takes you for a walk around the block. And then you do have to go forward with your life. And so when the worst things happen, when the things that really sort of knock us down happen, we are allowed to not be able to get up for a little while, but that time is limited and there comes a time where we're, when we may need help from somebody else to get back on our feet, but we do have to get back on our feet and put one foot in front of the other and go forward again. You know, my teacher, Zaman used to say over and over again, only way to get it together is together. You know, the only way to get it together is together. We, you know, whether the, we, whether we hear that message as being about within our own Jewish community or beyond our Jewish community, like we need each other right now. We, you know, 
the world feels dark and it is too easy to give in to the despair and we need we need community we need we need the collective consciousness to help us walk in the world. And, that, and that's made manifest and if we look at what happens next in the story that we talk about the plagues and then uh, afterwards as the as the Israelites are free you know, they, they go together and God is with them as well in the form of a pillar of fire so we have this vision of light as guidance that we have to and I, I find you know as we talked about earlier that the cyclical nature of light and darkness is so important the, the, the the fact that we acknowledge the darkness and understand it as a part of life is so important. And in knowing that we are able to, with the assistance of the other, with the assistance of sense of that which is greater than ourselves, we're able to be guided out mm -hmm. of that and actually mm -hmm. make that transition. And the fact that it's that we read the story of this actual physical transition from one place to another crossing the sea, so powerful, uh, guided by this, this pillar of fire that there is light in the darkness, even though we, we acknowledge the darkness, and that we're only going to make it out if we join together and, and do this, and have this sense of and this hope for that which is greater, it's what's going to bring us, bring us forward. And then that coming out is only an inevitability in retrospect, right? That on the other side of the shore before they cross in, there's no knowing what's going to happen in the sea, through the course of the journey, on the other side of the journey, what's going to come through the wandering. It's only, it's only known after the fact, and it's only together that, that we can get through. Right. And yet, um, we need to be able to also, you know, as much as we need to sort of be strong and support one another and have vision for the future and have hope, um, we also need to be able to give ourselves permission to just be in that place of darkness. Sure. That's right. um, and, you know, I'm sort of reminded of that movie Inside Out that came out a few years mm -hmm. ago, which so beautifully uh, uh, visualized for us the, you know, idea that we have joy and sadness and that when we block out sadness and only try to experience joy, um, we, we can't be fully human, which, you know, I think has been, has been articulated here. Um, but the idea that, you know, when the girl in the movie, um, when she really sits with her sadness, and it's not just even acknowledging it, but it's just sort of being able to sit with the sadness and sort of, like, um, and when, um, you know, when sadness is just sort of present and able to sort of acknowledge, acknowledge sadness's presence, um, that's when we sort of begin to become whole because we're able to kind of work through our feelings. So I think that the darkness here, you know, as well, if we think about the darkness in our own world or in our own that um, you know, sometimes it takes really feeling that darkness to enable us to sort of take ourselves and our communities and our, our country to the next step because um, you know how often is it that we see things that are going on that feel that feel like pretty bad but we're busy and we have a lot to do and we're not really sure how we can help and so we sort of like avoid finding our voice because you know, we're not really sure where our voice is, and because we have a lot of other things sort of going on, and so it's not bad enough for us to really, like, take action. Um, I think we have to really sit with the sadness and feel the sadness and the fear and the longing and the anger, and once we, when we really feel that, that sort of propels us 
to that next stage of, of saying, you know, no, I need to find my voice. Like, my voice matters, and collectively, our voice matters. Collectively, our voices can make a big difference. And that in, in creating the reality of the universe, right, it's light is preceded by darkness, darkness is preceded by chaos. Before we can experience that light, that seeing, we have to acknowledge the darkness and part of the darkness is the experience of chaos. Mm -hmm. We've been listening to to Justin and to Heidi and to Doug and to Seth and to to Rachel um, who represent different movements in different states and and I think that I've found this conversation very rich and and we, you know, I, I think that what we need to draw out of this conversation, what I draw out of this conversation is this is this sense that like it, it is it is too easy to just give in to the darkness and the despair and this plague of darkness is as Seth said is a penultimate of the plagues a ninth of ten ten plagues the last one of which is the unspeakably horrific uh, plague of the, the death of the firstborn and and then you know and then the liberation happens and like these these plagues are horrendous. In, in certain ways, and, and, and they're also perhaps necessary steps that had to happen in our, in our journey towards liberation. And I, and I feel like um, we live in a world where we, as Heidi just said, we, we cannot, we cannot, cannot, cannot just isolate ourselves as a people. And I, I feel very grateful right now for the, for the um, Muslim-Jewish alliance of Boulder that I've, that I've been involved with need to be together as Muslims and as Jews and as Christians and people of all faith and no faith in just recognizing how much we need each other as, as the, the human experience is to, is to need each other and that until we can see the absolute face of divinity within and you know within each other whoever whoever we are whatever you know faith we represent or culture or gender identity, sexual identity, whatever, whoever we are as human beings, if we cannot see the face of humanity, then we live in darkness. And, 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 and if, if we are really, really called to see um, darkness as just a, a sort of uh, an obscuring of the light, then the light is that power that we all have to see the face of God within each other. And so... I want to really thank all of you for, for being here today at this Rabbis Without Borders um, retreat here at the Pearlstone uh, Conference Center in, um, in, in Baltimore, Maryland. And um, thank you for listening. And may we, may we find light in this dark world. Amen. 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 we get off of our team. Thank you for listening to Adash and Drush. We will see you next time.